Welcome everyone to episode 6 of OSCZ 504's Freelance, the Anti-Romance audiobook version. I am your humble reader, Beta Reader 3. As always, if you like this, please check out the book version available on Amazon.com or at Ozzy's website at OSUZ504.tech. That's www.OSUZ504.tech. There are several other books, blogs, and in-progress stories available for reading and opinions, um, so be sure to check it out. Now, on with the story. Section 5. Strength Stats. How hard you can hit someone. He had been dreading this all week. It was his week with Elena, Elena and Erica, in the same house. He knew how she looked to others. He'd never brought a girl home before. He hadn't even dated since Mina. Elena had been the only female in his life for almost her entire existence, and now there was a mad scientist locked up in his apartment. She'd be trapped with a mad scientist. He straightened things. He scrubbed dishes. He vacuumed. He was annoying. Erica glared at him over her shoulder. The steady tap, tap, tap of her fingers on the keyboard stilled. What is wrong with you? She said. He was only slightly amused to note that she was not at her new desk, but was instead curled up on the floor using the coffee table. Elena's coming. Yes, and? She shoved her glasses up a little bit more on her nose. You're here. So? She's not used to another woman around. Erica frowned. Doesn't she have a mother? Yes, but that's different. How? You're not her mother. I haven't introduced her to a lot of women. Any, rather. She might get the wrong idea about the two of us. Erica shrugged. Or she might not. I don't care. I wish you would. That seemed to get her attention. You want me to be nervous about Elena? No, well, it's complicated, he said in a huff. Well, what did you tell her about me when you explained the situation? I didn't. Erica cocked her head to the side in confusion, peering at him, bird-like. You haven't told her about me at all? Well, it never seemed to be the right time, and... He stopped. She was frowning. All movement stopped. She was just looking at him. For some reason, he felt like he'd messed up. You have to admit, Erica, this isn't exactly a normal situation. What do you mean? People have roommates all the time. Yes, but usually it's because they need help paying the rent, or their friends, or in their relationship. We're not any of those things. We're not friends? She seemed to be processing that as if it was unexpected. No, I didn't mean it like that. Kitty and Erica both seemed terribly interested in his discomfort, watching him as if he was some kind of display. Kitty plopped himself in Erica's lap, and two sets of golden eyes fixed on him in quasi-expectation. How did you mean it, then? Aren't you either friends or not? Well, yes, but there's a lot of gray in there. Gray what? He held his temples, smoothing his hair back. Just never mind. I'm, I'm sorry I said anything. Please be quiet. We've never seen you so agitated, Erica said, stroking Kitty for all the world like some Bond villain. Could you please put on something other than those sweats, he grumbled, seeing her suddenly as Elena and Mina would. Flyaway hair, grubby clothes, pale, soft in a slightly chubby way, glasses. 
He mentally compared his put-together hyper-feminine former wife with the recalcitrant nerd sitting on his floor and sighed, wishing for just a moment that Erica was a little more interested in appealing to the patriarchy. Erica looked at Kitty. Kitty, I believe he is ashamed of us. The cat seemed to nod agreement, and again, two sets of golden eyes stared at him accusatorily. I am not ashamed. You can do whatever you want. It's not like... Oh, just forget it. He slumped in a chair and stared at his watch. She'd be here in a few minutes. Erica slipped into her little alcove and emerged wearing a soft flannel shirt and jeans, almost normal. She saw his look of surprise. I went to the thrift store, and I bought clothes, since you seem to care about them for some reason. I even bought a bra, like a true American capitalist stooge. You have my eternal and undying gratitude. Can I burn those sweats now? Uh, absolutely not. Why did you go to a thrift store? The fashion industry is a merciless grind ruining the planet, small businesses, and brainwashing people to believe in a consumerism and materialism that's toxic to human existence. He blinked. Ah, I thought it was to save money. Nope, I'm loaded. She grabbed a book and sat on the couch, obviously uncomfortable. Clothes are the worst. His lips twitched. The door latch jerked. Hey, Dad, we're here. There was a pause. Erica looked at Elena. Elena looked at Erica. Erica looked at Nina. Nina looked at Erica. Marcus closed his eyes and waited for death, praying it would come swiftly. Oh my gosh, it's you, breathed Elena. You're the alien, right? Nina looked at her daughter in confusion, and Marcus started to laugh. Yep, that's me, said Erica. I'm an alien. Did you read my sex books? What sex books? asked Nina sharply, moving both through the door so she could safely close out the neighbors. Marcus, who is this person? Nina, Elena, this is Erica, one of our authors from work. She ran into a little housing problem, so she's here for a while. Forever, said Erica definitively. He misspoke. I live here now. Marcus cleared his throat as his ex-wife stared at him, one eyebrow raised. Oh, really, she said. And here, I didn't even know you were seeing anyone, Marcus. You mean she was studying human mating behavior with you, Dad? Oh my god, that's so gross. What are you talking about? What about mating behaviors in sex books? asked Nina, alarmed. Elena pointed to her father. A couple weeks ago, he brought home all these sex books, gay ones too, and said he was holding on to them for an alien that wanted to observe human mating behavior. Her finger swiveled to Erica. She's the alien with the sex books. I mean, I didn't read any of them or anything. Of course you didn't. Marcus, can I see you in the bedroom for a moment? No, he said, still chuckling. Absolutely not. We're not married anymore, and I don't have to get yelled at. Nina put her hands on her hips. Well, I do not appreciate you bringing in some strange woman to share a house with our daughter without even discussing it with me in the first place. They do say that communication is the bedrock of any relationship, Erica offered helpfully. Discussion is absolutely necessary for compromise and trust. Shut up, Marcus said, like you're one to talk. Erica shrugged as if to say, be unreasonable then. Nina, Erica is a doctoral physicist, an author, a genius who just happens to have a little trouble taking care of her domestic affairs. She's hardly a serial killer. You think I'm a genius? Erica blinked, considering. Nah, you're probably right. I am very impressive. 
Nina huffed in exasperation and ignored her. I'm just a little concerned, Marcus, because I don't know anything about her. I didn't even know you'd started dating again. Elena seemed fascinated by the drama with her parents and promptly went to the kitchen for chips to watch the show, sitting next to Eric on the couch and offering her some. I'm not dating again, Marcus said, irritated at the action. I just told you Erica needed a place to stay. I have a place. We're roommates, not anything else. Oh, right, she said, scorn making her words bite. Sure, you have a beautiful girl. Woman, interrupted Erica. Fight the patriarchy, but thank you for the compliment. Nina glared. Fine, woman living with you, and you're not dating? You're even more of a wuss than I thought you were. What kind of man are you? Erica put her hands over Elena's ears. Elena pushed them off. Neither Marcus or Nina noticed. That was your big problem all these years, wasn't it? That I wasn't enough of a man? Lay off it, Nina. I took care of you. I took care of Elena. I'll take care of Erica. I'm just fine as a man. Just because I don't want to climb the corporate ladder and just because I like taking care of people doesn't make me less of a man. Oh, don't kid yourself. You couldn't make a decision to save your life, Marcus. I had to push you into everything. Getting a degree, moving to Chicago. I had to make you take all those steps, and you never take control or initiative of anything. So what, you're just letting this woman freeload off of you without even getting sex? Well, she does pay rent, so any real man would be dating her. I think you were gay, but you just can't be bothered to work up the motivation to approach anyone. Okay, here's a decision for you. Go home. Get out. This is my home. Leave. Don't come back. Go back to your precious Brent or Trent or whatever his name is. You know, the guy who's so manly that he can't even help you take care of our kid and leaves you with all the chores. Go back to that guy and talk about squash or money or persecuting the lower classes, offered Erica. Shut up, Nina and Marcus said simultaneously. Erica raised her hands up conciliatorily. Sorry, folks, just pretend I'm not here. And took another potato chip from Elena. You doing over okay over there, kid? She asked under her breath. Do they do this often? Never, said Elena, breathless, eyes glued to the scene. Dad usually just rolls over and apologizes before it gets to the good part. I always wondered why they broke up. She saw Erica's questioning glance. Oh, Mom got pregnant with me when she was just a teenager. Dad quit school, they got married, but then she wanted to go to college, and evidently it just wasn't working. They got divorced when I was like two or three, but Dad moved up here to take care of me and help pay for Mom's schooling. Don't worry, this is like a soap opera for me, not a emotional event. She paused. I've never seen Dad so worked up. What did you do to him? What indeed, murmured Erica. What a great question. You're so selfish, Nina was hissing. What if I don't want Elena to be exposed to this kind of trash so young? She's 16, Marcus. Remember what happened when I was around 16? I got pregnant. We got pregnant, he said indignantly. I stayed with you the whole time. Don't tell me I'm selfish. We have a great kid. We have great lives. You can't just throw that in my face like it was my fault. It was both of us. But it's my problem now. You're a guy. No one cares about fathers. Stop it. Something hard and angry moved across Marcus's face. Don't ever say our kid was a problem. It's not fair to anyone, especially Elena. You need to leave now. If it's such a hardship for you to be a mom, I'll take her. Leave. Go away. I've always told you she could come and stay with me whenever, for as long as she wanted. It's never been about you. God, why do you have to make everything about you? 
He opened the door for her. Please get out before Elena hears something that stupid come out of your mouth. Too late, said Erica softly, watching Elena digest what had just happened. She patted the girl's hand. Nina swept out. Marcus slammed the door. He knelt in front of Elena. Micha, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You are the best thing in my life, and it's been the greatest gift of my existence to be your dad. Please don't pay any attention to that nonsense. He cuddled her to her chest until she pushed him away. It's okay, Dad. I know all this. Mom yells at me all the time. What? She shrugged. I just didn't care. It's okay, Dad. Really, I'm not upset or anything. There was a long, painfully awkward silence. Erica handed her one of the boy love novels. Do you want to read a sex book and piss off your mom? She took the book. Yes, please. Well, that went well, said Erica once Elena had retreated to her room. No one was expecting fireworks, but tonight's show was certainly intense. Marcus rubbed his temples. Please be quiet. I could read you some of my latest erotica to cheer you up. It's really terrible. Although people keep buying it, so obviously something about it is appealing. No, thank you. I would prefer not to have to chew my own ears off tonight. Well, well suit yourself. Humans are amazing, she said finally. So much emotion. You guys wear me out. Anyway, here, hold still. She calmly stood in front of him, pried his mouth open, and swabbed it with a cotton Q-tip. He slammed his hand over his mouth and scooted to the far end of the couch. What, what was that? What are you doing? Came his muffled cries through his hand. Research, she said, dropping the material into a solution and shaking it. I'm putting this in the fridge. Don't eat it. I'm pretty sure the stabilization mixture is poisonous. Research for what? Book five. Genetic testing is required, and I want to see if the main character could do it in a rudimentary lab. She gestured vaguely towards her alcove. I picked up a polymerase kit on Amazon. Amazing stuff. Do you have anything I could use as a centrifuge around here? What did I say, Erica? What did I say about human testing? Ugh, don't be ridiculous. This isn't human testing, she said patiently. I just want to try doing a home DNA test. I'm not going to do anything to you. It's a polymerase test. It's not a people test. Do the words express written consent mean anything to you? She seemed to consider for a moment. No. Good God, at least label what's poisonous or edible when you put stuff in the fridge. If I remember. If you remember. If you remember. You can remember the exact molecular dimensional configurations of an entire organic chemistry textbook, but you're telling me you may not be able to remember to label if something is going to kill me or my kid next time we're making oatmeal? She shrugged. I'm sure you'll figure it out. I... I just can't even... Section 6. Dexterity stats. How fast you can run away. Looking at you, bard. Hey, professora, I have something for you. Marcus waved her new printed book four at her as he took his shoes off at the door. She'd started making him do that after taking up manga. Evidently, she'd been reading some of his library and enjoyed the experience. It did make the floor cleaner and easier to take care of and gave them something in common. He couldn't complain. Oh, welcome home, she said, staring intently at her computer screen. Look, your book. I got you the first copy. He dropped it proudly on the coffee table, absently noting that again she was writing at the table, not at her thousand-dollar desk-slash-bed. Ridiculous woman. He dropped to the couch behind her, waiting for a reaction. 
He was particularly proud of the jacket art. I asked a friend of mine to do the art for this run. Since your last one sold so well, we bumped up your numbers for this one by 25%, and we got to increase our marketing budget. So, what do you think? Do you like it? It's the Mandelbrot set, only... She turned the book upside down and rotated it. Only it's merged with a Lorenz curve. She blinked, rotating the jacket again, and then one more time. Lovely. It's actually mathematically correct, isn't it? Just superimposed integer sets and merged on a false-colored Hubble photo? I have no idea, sweetheart, but it looks amazing, and my friend said it was perfect for your book. She hadn't let it go. He felt ridiculously pleased with himself. It's, it is perfect, she said. Good. He put his arms behind his head and let his eyes close in contentment. I wanted you to like it. Oh, and I set up a showing for you with autograph signing at the Chicago book list in a couple weeks with sales. They're throwing a party. I'm not going. She put the book down and returned to her computer. Of course you're going. It's a great opportunity to sell the new book and plug the series. No. Stinking unwashed masses, all expecting me to be brilliant? Awful. Fake attendees there for free food or to suck up to publishers that don't give a rat's ass about them? No. Hard pass. You have to go, Professora. I do not have to do anything. We're probably living in a holographic universe anyway, so there's no telling if the party is actually occurring or not. It could just be a projection of your own desires on the quantum field. Blah, 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 you're going. I have a deadline. Oh, for your impulse book? Yes. Great, that's not my problem. He settled more comfortably into the couch. Sounds like your impulse editor's problem. She went back to tapping on her keyboard. So focused, he thought drowsily. So disciplined for such a basket case. It was soothing to listen to the steady sound. So soothing, he felt his breathing lengthen and his arms drift around a pillow. He started awake, glancing at the oven clock, showing a blurry 3 a.m. on its face. Erica was still frozen in front of her computer, unmoved from the last time he looked at her. His arm had fallen asleep from him sprawling out on the couch. She wasn't moving. No tapping. Barely breathing, as far as he could tell. Erica, Movia, are you all right? He laid a hand on her shoulder. She shook her head. No, it's no good. Concerned, he dropped next to her. What? What's no good? What is it? I can't get it right just from the books. Get what? I have to break my promise. Promise of what? To who? To you. I'm so sorry. Please hold very still. His first thought was, she's released a poisonous snake in the apartment to see how I react to it. His second thought was, she's drugged me and now feels bad about it and so is about to administer the antidote. Number two seemed very plausible. What did you... She kissed him. It wasn't a very good kiss at first, and he was so surprised he forgot to pay attention to it, and she pulled back. I knew it. I knew it was nonsense. He touched his lips with his fingers. They felt tingly. He cleared his throat. What was nonsense? Kissing. In the books, it's always this mystical experience, and it's supposed to be super emotional, and blah, blah, blah. It's not. I knew it. So this was an experiment? I already apologized for doing it. I know you wanted express written consent, but I just needed to figure out how to write this. I mean, now that I know, I think I could really just change this part to be much less romantic, really burn the fairy tale image right out, you know. He kissed her back. Slowly, 
taking slight vindictive pleasure in shutting her up, and then in the physical pleasure of having her against him. He let his fingers frame her face, stroking his thumbs down the inside of her jawline to move her to the right position, let one hand slip around her head to bring her closer and control the pressure. Her lips were shockingly soft, which surprised him. More surprising was that she seemed to not know what to do. He let it deepen, breathing in her scent, clean soap, shampoo, a hint of flowers, feeling soft skin. Like rain on the mountain, he thought. So cool. She pulled away and pressed her fingers to her lips, an unconscious imitation of him. Oh, she said. Well, that was different. He wanted to pull her back. He wanted to do it again. Felt deprived and selfish and greedy, and it made him annoyed. I don't want to be experimented on, Professora. Don't. But I wanted to know. I'm not a toy. Don't do it again. He was shaking, like someone had come and scooped out his insides, leaving him feeling hollow and echoey. He set her back against the couch and extracted himself, avoiding her. He slammed the door to his bedroom and locked it, leaning against it with his fist pressed against his lips. He could still feel the cool scent of her hair and his hands. Mujer Mavada, he thought. How dare she? He refused to talk to her the next day. Still made her breakfast, still did the chores, still made her lunch before he went to work, but in complete silence. She didn't try to make conversation, just sat across from him, taking the plates he offered, watching him. Dead silence, which annoyed him even more. Who is supposed to be having a point made to them right now, he thought irritably. Does she even realize I'm upset with her? Probably not. I'd probably have to staple a post-it note onto my forehead saying, I'm pissed at you and punishing you with the silent treatment to make an impact. Ridiculous woman. He refused to speak to her that night as well, even when Elena came home. She looked from one to the other. What's wrong with you two? Nothing, Marcus said. I just can't talk to Erica right now. She knows what she did, though. Erica cocked her head, considering. I kissed your dad, and now he's freaking out. What? Elena looked at her, confused. I thought you and dad were going out. Don't you kiss all the time? We are not dating, said Marcus through gritted teeth. We are roommates, and I don't want to be kissed by my roommate. Uh, well, why aren't you dating, then? She asked reasonably. I mean, you spend all your time together. You seem to have a lot in common. You're obviously attracted to each other. Why aren't you dating? Great question. Erica turned to look at him and crossed her arms. Why don't you want to kiss your roommate? I'm not getting into this with you, with my kid, in the room. I don't appreciate being used, and you using me to write your trashy romance novels is not my idea of a fun relationship. They're not trashy, she said Myth. I've gotten a lot better. I just wanted to have some practical experience since Tina told me my copy was too cold. See? See, this is for your writing. It's not about me. Oh boy, Elena said with glee. You guys have the best fights. You should just totally hook up already. Please, baby, never say those words around me again, said Marcus. I may never have a sex drive after hearing that coming out of my 16-year-old mouth. Have you made out before? Erica asked Elena. Oh, sure. Marcus choked. Great. So does the male usually freak out after being used? About being used afterwards and treat the female to the silent treatment? Elena pretended to consider the question, studiously ignoring her dad's increasing blush of discomfort. Nope. They were usually pretty excited somebody wanted to make out with them, and they didn't act like dicks afterwards. 
Erica nodded. I thought so. Maybe I need a better test subject. Both of you quit it. His ears were so hot he pressed his hands against them to try and cool them off a little. Just because I expect a little privacy and a little discretion from my kid and I don't like being taken advantage of does not mean that I'm being a dick. Yeah, it does, Dad. Just make out like a normal guy. Marcus groaned. Please stop. Death. I will go ahead and die now. It is the end. My teenage daughter is giving me sex advice. Mad scientists are molesting me against my will. When will the sweet release of death take me? And who are you making out with, Elena? Do I know this person? Because I should know this person. He should come here so I could understand what equipment I'll need for his eventual murder. Nope. Don't worry about it. I'm going to my room. No murdering is required. Erica picked up the cat and gave him a lingering, guilt-inducing, accusatory stare before sticking her nose in the air and going back to her computer. How is any of this my fault? He called to no one in particular. I'm the victim here. But he didn't get an answer. She was watching him, sitting at the kitchen bar, observing him do the dishes. You could help, you know, he grumbled at her. Your hands work just as well as mine. No, thank you, Erica said. I'd rather just watch you. That's creepy, Professora. I'd prefer that you didn't. Well, the world's an imperfect place, isn't it? She didn't move. He knew that if he looked up, he'd see those golden brown eyes just looking into him, dissecting his every movement, thought, action just watching and recording everything in that giant brain of hers. Please stop staring, Erica. No, I want to see you. He dropped his head to scrub harder at a pot and to hide the massive confusion that he was pretty sure was written in giant letters above his head. I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable, she said, bracing her head on her hand, but those still eyes. He didn't look. I'm also not using you for the romance novel. She paused. Well. I am, but not in the way you seem to think. What are you doing with me, then? He asked. Is this just a, an experiment for you? Of course. All things are just experiences. But, but I wanted to have that one with you. Just you. Does that make you feel any better? No. Yes, he thought. Oh. Why do you say things you don't mean? She seemed confused, though her perceptivity surprised him. Doesn't everyone do that, to protect themselves, he asked her. No, she said quietly as she hopped off the stool. I never say anything I don't mean. I don't lie. I can't. I'll tell you anything you want to know, the full truth, all the time. <sighs> That's probably why people hate me so much. Shame I'm living with you now, though, so you can't just leave or kick me out. You're stuck with me. I wouldn't kick you out, he said. I'm not a monster. That's what people say, sure, but when it comes to living with truth, man, not many people want to do it for the long haul. Too bad I like you so much. I don't think you understand what you're telling me, Marcus said, feeling uncomfortable. You're giving me a lot of power over you here. You're, you're basically telling me you want to be with me. But I do want to be with you. She seemed surprised. I thought you knew. You're my person. I just know it. I don't know what it is, but yes, that's what I'm telling you. I guess it's love, or whatever it is that makes people want to live together and take care of each other. I'm not leaving. Erica, that's not how this works. You can't just tell someone you love them. You don't know anything about me. You're supposed to date someone, move in, get married, all slow and steady. There's an order to this. 
She shrugged. I don't see the issue. I know everything I need to know about you. We live together. If you'd just explain it to me, we'd have sex and do other couple stuff. If you want, we can get married, although I don't really see the point in it. But if it's important to you, it's important to me. Stop. He was having trouble processing the words she was saying. Just stop. You don't... You don't understand what you're saying. Oh, for... Of course I understand what I'm saying. I want to make out with you and have sex with you and live in your house and help your kid with her homework. I'm not dumb, Marcus. I, I know what I'm asking for. I knew the moment you started ordering groceries for me. Stop telling me I don't understand. She drew her little five-foot-three frame up to its full height and jabbed him in the chest. I've been waiting for you to figure out how you feel about me so we can get this next portion started as quickly as possible. I didn't realize you were so interminably slow. Jeez. He felt caught, stuck, like his feet had been glued to the floor as he looked down on her. Now, I will be honest, she continued. The whole love and sex thing is not my wheelhouse, so to speak, but I've been doing lots of research. Tina says my stories are getting much better, so it might not be too bad for you. He tried to swallow, but his throat felt too dry. Erica, I don't... I don't know what to say to this. She nodded. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't realize you didn't understand what was going on. Let me let me try to be more clear. He suddenly had an impression of being back in school, asking a dumb question to one of the teachers. She pulled his head down to hers so that she could see him eye to eye. I like you. I want to be with you. I want you to figure out what you want so we can make that happen as quickly as possible. Hopefully by next month, so I still have time to revise my novel with whatever I can figure out from having sex with you, because why not? His throat felt two sizes too large, and his voice came out hoarse. Most women don't use this approach, he finally said. She nodded. Well, I'm not most women, and you're not most men, but we seem to be doing fine with each other so far. I'll... He had to stop to swallow. I'll have to think about it. Tap, tap, tap. Elena pulled off her headphones and looked up from her book. Come in. Erica opened the door and sat on the bed, moving Elena's books and papers aside and promptly putting her feet up. Elena chuckled, bemused at the older woman. Sure, come on in and have a seat, alien lady. What can I do for you? I told your dad I was in love with him. Ooh, wow, okay. Elena pulled herself into a sitting position. Yeah, that's big. Are you sure you guys aren't dating? Erica shook her head. Nope, up to him, I guess. She looked glum. Anyway, now I'm bored, emotionally unstable, and I have writer's block, so I thought maybe I could help you with something. Elena chuckled. So you want to tutor me because you're bored, or because you want to avoid my dad sitting in the living room? Two for one deal, she said unashamed. No, sorry, all this stuff is pretty easy. Elena paused. Well, actually, I was kind of thinking of joining the robotics club at school. But it's pretty hard, and there aren't any girls on the team. Do you want to maybe look at the brochure? They need mentors or whatever, and maybe if you were helping, it would be more fun than just a bunch of sweaty guys. I was thinking of maybe asking Dad, but... Erica gripped her hand in excitement. We must do this. It's perfect. I have a soldering iron. We will build the most perfect mechanical killing machine in the history of this competition. 
Whoa, 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 easy, alien, Alina said. I have to join the club first and get the kits and everything. And, you know, you're going to have to, like, leave the house, right? You know, come to the school? Hmm, Erica narrowed her eyes in distaste. I'd forgotten about that. But for the sweet lure of mechanical slaughter, I will try to prevail. Elena rolled her eyes. You and Dad are perfect for each other. Drama queens. Sheesh. Okay, give me until Monday to get the details. You'll still have to talk to Dad through the weekend, though, without distraction. She eyed the older woman. Do you think you can make it? No, Erica grumbled. I don't get what he's thinking about. I like him. He likes me. Let's just do this thing and move on with our lives. What is he so worried about? Elena yawned and placed one of her earphones in. Yeah, well, the first, last, and only time he got excited about love, he became a dad and then got divorced. Probably shook him up a bit. Erica looked at her. You're pretty smart for a schmuck kid, you know that? Yep, I'm in the gifted program and everything, Elena said and popped in her other earphone. Go sit in awkward silence with Dad and pretend to be a grown-up alien lady. You can't hide in here tonight. I got stuff to do. Section 7. Saving Throws. All the luck, all the time. Marcus tapped his fingers on his desk, staring at the computer without actually seeing anything on the screen. Someone had told him he needed to call someone or something. There was an email he needed to respond to or something. It was all just sort of hazy. Tap, 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 tap. He was thinking about her again. He was always thinking about her. It would never work. But it's working now, isn't it? She can't know what she's asking. But of course she knows what she's asking. She can't be in love with me. But she seems so sure of herself. How can she be so sure? I don't even like her like that. Or, or do I? I mean, she's attractive enough in her own way, I suppose. The regular feeding and showering helps with that, sure. But I mean, I don't want to date her. Right? I mean, I can't imagine being in public with her when she has one of her moments. Tap, tap, tap. What am I supposed to do with this? Just fall in love with her? Why? I like being on my own. I like my life just the way it is. I don't want to make room in it for someone else. Although, haven't I already? I mean, she did move in with me. I'm, I'm essentially her housekeeper or slave. I don't actually get any sexual benefits for living with her. I got all the bad parts about living with someone and none of the good parts. Because I'm an idiot. Because what am I doing? No wonder she got missed signals. How many men would just invite a crazy woman into their apartment unless they were planning to sleep with her? I don't actually know. What do other men do? How do you even date? He moaned unconsciously and then snapped his mouth shut at Chris's annoyed glare over the metal and plastic dividers. The more he thought, the more confused he got. She seems so sure. She's probably never even been in a relationship before. Jesus. I definitely don't want to date a sociopathic 30-something, mostly virgin. This is the worst. I can't do this. Not again. He diligently tried to focus on the manuscript, thankfully not one of Erica's, but the story wasn't engaging, and he savagely slashed through pages of dull prose and wrote a scathing series of notes to the author, venting his frustration out on the revision copy. She'd left him alone for almost a week now. It was dead silent in the apartment, and he dreaded going home lately. She didn't do anything. No guilt trips, no recriminations, no pleading, no yelling. All of those would have been preferable to this patient, waiting silence. 
It was so obvious that she'd been alone for most of her life. She had zero need to speak, zero need for human connection. It was just him that was uncomfortable. But how am I supposed to fall in love with that, with that robot? He thought angrily, making another biting comment in the margin of the document. Why would I want a woman who literally can't notice when I'm giving her the silent treatment? He felt Chris stop by his desk and his irritation intensified. Hey, Marcus, some of us are... No. I didn't even finish the question. I don't want to go. Okay, okay, sheesh, what's with you lately? You're all ornery about something. I'm just annoyed that you seem to be off at lunch or at coffee or anything instead of sitting at your desk working. If your authors are so important, how about you call them once in a while or do something productive? Whoa, easy there, big guy. What's with all this? I take care of my authors just fine. Don't give me that. You just wait for them to fail and then pawn them off on the first worthless fuck you can find. Chris's eyebrows had buried themselves somewhere in his hairline. Marcus? Is this about Erica? Why would it be about Erica? Not everything is about her, you know. Yeah, but you're acting weird, and weird just follows Erica around, so I thought maybe, you know... No, forget it, and quit calling her weird. She is, but you don't get to comment. Well, hey, fuck you then. Go wallow in whatever mess you're sitting in and quit taking it out on me. Fine, I will. You're the one wasting my time with dumb questions. I'm working. Fine, so sorry to interrupt. Something hot and itchy seemed stuck just under his collarbone, and it seemed to be growing worse by the hour. By the end of the day, he was a raw bundle of nerves and anger, and it's all her fault. He slammed open the door, ready for a fight. He'd been looking forward to it, in fact. He was tired of her, tired of her messing with him, tired of everything, and it was going to be real happy to get a couple things off his chest so she knew what the rules were. Erica, he shouted, taking off his shoes and letting the door wham shut. Erica, I want to talk to you. The house was silent, even more silent than usual. Erica, come out. I've got a couple things to say to you, and I want you to listen. Nothing. Look, it's not fair for you just to lay all your feelings out like this. You can't just make me love you. And to be clear, I don't. I don't want you, and if you can't keep your feelings and your hands to yourself, I don't want you around. He was shouting to an empty room. Erica? He wandered through empty rooms, opening and closing doors. There was no one in the house. He checked her bed. Most of her things were gone. Her computer was gone. Her toothbrush and hygiene kit were gone. Erica? He whispered, suddenly feeling deflated and very, very lonely. Where are you? He'd called her cell. No answer. The mailbox you are trying to reach is full and cannot accept calls at this time. Thank you. Goodbye. Elena hadn't seen her. Evidently, Erica had signed up to help with the robotics club for the spring semester, but she hadn't been to the school or communicated with Elena. He called Tina from Impulse Editing. Nothing. He didn't know if she had any friends or, or family. He didn't know anything about her. He sat, his elbows dangling on his knees, staring at his phone, wondering who else to call. How can I know so little about her? She's been living here for months. Awful, twisted guilt seemed to wrap around his throat and made his chest tight. What if she knew? What if she knew that I was going to reject her and that I didn't want her and she just disappeared? 
What if she's homeless right now, just wandering the streets because I didn't want her? He let his head fall back into his hands. She could be starving or dying of hypothermia since she's incapable of taking care of herself. What if someone talks to her on the street? She's likely just to go with anyone who has a van and some candy. Oh my god, I'm going to see her raped, broken body on the evening news in a couple weeks. In his mind, the image of a headline flashed. Local woman found brutally tortured and murdered after being rejected by boyfriend for no good reason. Police say this could have been easily avoided if said boyfriend was not a, quote, fucking asshole. I'm going to hell, he thought. I feel like I've kicked a puppy. He looked for her for two days. He contacted the police department. They said not to worry. There was no evidence she'd done anything other than leave. And wasn't that what he wanted anyway? He left messages with all of her editors, the ones he knew anyway, her agent. No one had heard anything. No one seemed particularly worried. She probably just went for a trip or something, said Tina. It's not like you found a suicide note in a map pointing you to the body. Suicide. Oh God, I hadn't even considered that. He felt his heart twist harder. Tina frowned at him. That was a joke. You don't understand, he said earnestly. Erica has a lot of problems. What if the strain just finally got to her? She seemed fine last week. Yes, but you know people with her temperament can be sensitive. What if something pushed her, pushed her over the edge? Nothing pushed her over the edge, Tina said, patting his arm. It's really sweet that you're this concerned, but don't you think you're taking this just a wee bit out of proportion? I'm sure she's fine. She turned back to her work. Maybe she just went to visit her foster family. I think she mentioned something about it being her birthday this week. He froze. What? She glanced back up at him from over top her glasses. Yeah, didn't you know? She was in foster care as a kid, and this family evidently picked out a birthday for her so she could have one. Maybe she just went to visit her family. Foster family? Didn't have a birthday? The words registered somewhere deep in Marcus's brain. When did she tell you this? Marcus's voice felt like it was coming from someone else and from very far away such a terrible person. Oh, she stopped by so we could talk about some of the book revisions last week. We're a little ahead of the deadline, so we were just chatting about things. She said she was getting ready for her not-birthday, and I asked what that was. She told me about her family giving her a not-birthday date. I thought it was sweet. Did she say where she was from? Nope. I got the impression she wasn't with them for very long, but she didn't share anything other than the not-birthday story. She took another closer look at him. Marcus, you look really stressed out about this. It's fine. She's probably just busy and will call you back when she's free. Relax. She'll come back. What if she doesn't? What if I hurt her? He thought. I didn't know about her childhood or that it was her birthday this week. Tina shrugged. It's okay. I just heard about it by accident. Still, I feel bad. Don't, she said, laughing. We're just her editors. It's not like we're best friends or family or anything. He felt even worse for some reason. I am so going to hell. She was gone for five days. Five awful days. Five days where no one took him seriously. No one knew where she was and no one knew how to get a hold of her. And then on the sixth. It was almost midnight. Marcus stared at the page he was trying to read. He had looked at the clock so many times today, and nothing had changed. If she would just call, he thought, for the thousandth time. Then he heard the latch on the door engage and felt his heart lurch. 
Marcus, I'm home, she called from the doorway, pulling off her shoes. I brought you... He leapt over the couch, skidding on the wood flooring to wrap her up in a full-body hug. Mmm, she said against his chest. He held her tighter. Where were you? He whispered into her hair. Why would you leave without telling me? Why didn't you pick up your phone? Why didn't you call me or return any of my calls? Why didn't you tell me it was your birthday this week? Her feet started to leave the ground. Her face was buried firmly against him, and he refused to let her pull away enough to speak coherently, taking selfish pleasure in just holding her as close as physically possible for as long as he wanted. She didn't seem to mind, letting her arms wrap around his waist and snuggling in more comfortably. I was so worried about you, Noya. I pictured you dead in a ditch somewhere, or dying of hypothermia, or being murdered by serial killers. Why did you leave me like that? She finally pulled away enough to bend down and rifle through a bag, emerging with a tiny keychain in the shape of a train hurtling through a star. I took a train trip and brought you a present. She handed it to him. He blinked. You got me a keychain from a train trip? What? Yeah, when I get stuck on something, I take trips or go on a walkabout. I figured you were still upset with me and my writing was awful last week, so I took the Zephyr train to Utah. She smiled and patted her bag. My copy this week will be extra good. Why didn't you return any of my calls? She seemed surprised and dug out her cell phone. You called? I guess I just shut my phone off. It's not like anyone but you calls me. Marcus placed his hands over his eyes, pressing the heels of his palms against the cheekbones and let a wash of frustration, guilt, relief, and violent irritation erupt in a long, muffled moan. It went on for about 20 seconds. Erica blinked innocently at him. What's wrong with you? Are you upset about something? Infuriated and not trusting himself to speak, he went into the bedroom and shut the door. After the third time he'd gotten up to check on her in the night, he felt a rustle and a small form slip between his covers. You were getting annoying, she said, yawning. It kept waking me up. Go to sleep now, please, and don't snore. She tucked herself into the crux of his shoulder, promptly stealing a pillow, curled in to face him, and fell asleep without further preamble. She smells like sea mist, he thought absently, or rain on rocks, refreshingly cold. Thank goodness we got her to shower daily. Tell me about Utah and your not birthday tomorrow, he mumbled. You need to learn to use your big girl words. She started to snore. I don't want eggs, Erica said, turning up her nose at him as he got out breakfast materials. I want waffles. Waffles are bad for you, Marcus said absently, marking up the grocery list hanging on the fridge. What do you want for your birthday? Waffles. He gave her a side look past the open fridge door. She smiled at him peaceably. Fine. Do you want my waffles or IHOP waffles? Yours. He sighed again and got out the flower. Okay, since it's your birthday. It's not a birthday, she said, pulling out a notebook to doodle in. It's the date when I was emancipated from the foster system. I never had an actual birthday. Oh. He felt awkward and turned to the skillet. What does your birth certificate say? I got a replacement one when I was older that just lists January 1st of the year. Oh, how old are you? 33, I think. I'm an old lady. You're not that old. I'm older than you. He stopped. How do you know that? 
I went through all your stuff. Erica, stop it. Why? I wanted to know. He beat the mix savagely and slammed the pan down. You know, I was perfectly happy before you. My life was calm, normal. I didn't have heart attacks in the middle of the night or a roommate that steals my stuff or magical furniture that appears when I don't want it or 30 packages a day sitting on my doorstep that you are evidently too lazy to bring into the house. What are you ordering anyway? Books, mostly, she said, reaching up to shove a cookie in her mouth. He swatted it out of her hand. No stealing my cookies. Sugar isn't good for you. She stuck it back into her face. I'm saving you from your own weakness. You're a brat. She grinned and crumbs fell onto the counter. Close your mouth when you're eating. He handed her another cookie. You're a very conflicted person, aren't you, Marcus? She said. I wasn't before I met you. I doubt that. Here. He thrust waffles drenched in butter and honey at her. Happy not birthday. Thank you. Are you going to get dressed today? He asked, eyeing her faded sweats with distaste. And can I burn those things you're wearing yet? Nope, I like them, she said, cramming her face full of waffle. At least let me wash them. Okay. And started stripping them off at the table. He didn't even bother to sigh, just averted his eyes as she dumped them on the floor at his feet. Go put something else on. Why? To save my modesty. Oh, sheesh. Okay. He heard her get up and rifle through things. Are you decent? He called back to her. Yes. When he looked, she was com comfortably wearing one of his t-shirts and underwear. How do you make it in the world? He asked in awe. Are you allergic to clothes? No, I just don't like them. She continued shoveling up her waffle. Thank you. This is delicious. Good. I'll be home late today. I have a meeting downtown. Okay. Can I use the stove to make something tonight then? Yes, fine. Just don't break anything. Okay. Okay, Ryan said, considering the map with his miniature on the kitchen table. I'd like to swing up on the back of the were-tiger, using his skull to jump to the chandelier on the ceiling, cut the chain, and crush all three were-tigers underneath me. Okay, said Justin, but you only get one move action and one combat action. But the were-tiger is within 10 feet of me, and the chandelier is within 20, so that's one move action, and then I can take my second story feet to take no extra movement to get to the chandelier. Fine. Roll strength athletics for the jump, and strength with no weapon modifier to cut the chain. Well, can I roll dexterity instead? I mean, it is jumping. And you get that dexterity bonus for the second story work feet, chimed in Marcus. Justin scowled. You're just asking for that because you took the strength debuff from the warlock that hasn't worn off yet. So? Ryan said. Fine, roll dexterity for the jump and straight strength for the chain cut. Ryan rolled the dice. 28 and 4. Great, so you springboard over this poor bastard's head. Your boot mashes directly between his eyes as you leap onto the chandelier above you only to realize that your dagger has fallen out of your belt and is on the floor below you. You are now disarmed and will take disadvantage against all attacks. Fuck, said Ryan, throwing up his hands and then slamming them back down on the table, making the battleboard jump. It's okay, man. Let me see if I have anything. Marcus considered his options. 
Okay, I'm going to send my wolf to take care of the drown the downed were tiger and I'm going to shoot down the chandelier with my storm bow trying to crush the other 3 like Rory was going for. And with my magical weapon attack activated, I'm going to use my spell casting modifier instead of my strength modifier to do the attack. What's your spell cast again? Asked Justin flipping through his dungeon master handbook. Uh, wisdom. Ryan groaned. Amicus's wisdom is like nothing right now. Yeah, but it's better than the negative two debuff and strength that I have from the warlock right now, Marcus responded. Okay. Uh, roll for the wolf, regular attack, and you can roll your storm bow with wisdom, said Justin. That's uh, 24 for the wolf. Hit, roll damage. 21 damage plus 4, 25. The war tiger's dead. Your wolf stands on its chest and rips its throat out before it can get to its feet. Uh, now roll for the chain. Okay, for the chain, 15, said Marcus. Hit, roll damage. 17 plus uh, 3, 20. All right, said Justin. So Amicus fires this flaming arrow from a bow turned electric blue as if a piece of lightning had been captured and shaped into its form. The arrow itself seems almost made of that lightning as it rockets towards Rory, sitting on the chandelier. Oh shit, Marcus said. Rory, go ahead and make a saving throw. You're trying to beat a 16. God damn it, Amicus! Can I yell at him to say I'm still up here, asshole? Yep, said Justin. Great, stupid elves. I got a five, a fucking five. These dice are cursed, Ryan said, flinging the bang across the room. Justin chuckled. Rory, you take, oh, one second, 35 lightning damage since you're wearing your cloak of enshrouding ice with its susceptibility to fire and lightning. Fuck! Good job, Ranger Rick! Now I'm unconscious and you're out of healing spells. Upside, Justin continued over Ryan's outburst. Amicus, you destroy the chain holding up the chandelier, and the backlash of the explosion takes out two of the were-tigers, and Rory is blown to the other side of the room. Sorry, Rory, said Marcus, not sounding sorry at all. Fucking elves. It's a good thing you guys are so pretty, otherwise someone would have killed you real quick. Ryan crossed his arms and sulked. Now I'm unconscious, so I hope you have a health potion or something you can rev me with. Marcus looked guilty. Nope. I'll have to carry you back to the town with that priestess. That was like two stories ago. It'll take forever. And there's still one were-tiger in the room with you, reminded Justin. Okay, I'll send Sparky the wolf after that one. How does he look, said Marcus. The were-tiger? Good, not even bloody. Okay, I am going to activate Sparky's Amulet of Blasting, which is Scorching Ray at second level with an attack bonus of plus five as a bonus. Regular attack, and then I'm going to hit him with the Stormbow. Okay, three attack rolls, please. First one is a 19, then second's 21, third is a 6. Damage was 15, 13, and 20. Okay, said Justin. The wolf's collar or amulet thingy begins to glow, and a powerful beam of focused flame shoots out to wrap the were-tiger in a halo of burning air. Even as the thing gets drenched in fire, Sparky is already at its throat, grabbed on and shaking. The were-tiger fails its saving throw and dies in a shell of fire and blood. 
Your regular attack misses, doesn't even hit the word tiger, instead careening into the side of the ruin and... Ooh, shit. Rory, go ahead and make two death saves. What? The arrow would be headed directly towards you and it has a blast radius that you'd be in. Oh, no. Oh, Mar... Oh, Rory, I'm so... I'm so sorry. Not again, laughed Marcus. Seriously? Seriously, Amicus? You're shooting the unconscious halfling now? What the fuck did Rory do to you? Three. Nope, said Justin gleefully. And eleven. Okay, so you're going to take an additional eight damage. Where are you on your hit points? Less than half my total, moaned Ryan. I'm dead. God damn it, Amicus! Justin closed his books with a snap and a smile of victory. And we'll call it. See you next week. Uh, I think so, said Marcus. I've sort of got a roommate now. Ryan perked up. Yeah? Does he want to play D&D? He is a she, and I'm not sure you guys would like playing with her. Why? Is she a snob? Doesn't like nerds? No, actually, she'd probably love it. Marcus was at a loss to explain her, and had a sudden image of her as a dungeon master. She'd probably be a great DM, actually. Bring her, Justin said. You guys are too easy to kill, and I want to play my warlock. I don't know if she... She's not really a sociable person. Well, maybe. She's pretty weird, though, so you'd have to be nice to her. We're nice to you, and you're a freak, said Justin placidly. And it's Dungeons and Dragons, Marcus. No one in the history of this game has ever been socially well-adjusted, popular, and not a total reject. Look at us. Hey, Ryan said. I'm reasonably normal. I have friends and stuff. You play competitive Pokemon tournaments, said his brother. So? It's a legit game. No, it's not. Justin turned back to Marcus. Bring her. She'll have to learn the rules and figure out how to run the game, but I'm sure she can figure it out. That's not what I'm worried about, Marcus hesitated. I'll think about it. Maybe find the right time to bring it up. Fine. Okay, whatever. You make it sound like she's an unexploded bomb or something. You have no idea, my friend. No idea. In the moment just before he turned the latch to his own home, Marcus had a momentary flashback to the conversation with her this morning. In that single flash of insight, he realized two things. First, she hadn't said that she would be using the oven for food. Second, he'd authorized her literal mind to do anything she wanted to the oven as long as she didn't break anything. He opened the door, expecting flames to shoot out. It was quiet. The apartment was quiet. Lamps were turned on. Erica was comfortably tapping away on her laptop, wedged under the coffee table in her usual back-breaking position. Stacks of books had migrated to the middle of the living room, but there were no flames. No scorch marks. The cat was still alive. He took a suspicious look around while taking off his shoes. Professora, I'm home. Sorry I'm late. Welcome back, she said, continuing to type. I have to finish this segment. I did a travel vignette from my train trip that I want to see if I can publish. I have a whole mess of trip journals that could make a really good book. Ah, yes, wonderful. He came to sit behind her on the couch and started to put his feet up when the other timer dinged. Erica jumped up. Marcus followed, a heavy sinking feeling starting in his stomach. Sure enough. He peeked over her shoulder as she extracted whatever had been cooking onto the counters. Robust-looking ceramic petri dishes filled with an expansive ooze, 
All interesting colors of red, orange, or bright pink came out of the oven. Using tongs, she placed each one of them on a scale and scribbled notes in her writing book. He perched on one of the bar stools to watch. Delicately, she used a wooden skewer to unroll the ooze into long threads that she then placed onto a piece of computer paper until a dozen or so candy-colored threads lined up side by side. She had her new microscope out. Snipping a tiny portion of the threads, she dabbed a clear mixture on the plate and dropped the thread onto it, rotating the eyepieces to the appropriate magnification, and sketched the result in her notebook. Marcus leaned over to peek. Complex whorls and branches seemed to have split off from the main thread, like a crystalline tree or flower with hexagonal scales. She noticed him. Want to look, she said, motioning him over to the microscope. These are slime molds that were grown in a saltwater solution. They're still alive, but see, the heat exposure has helped to precipitate the salt, allowing them to grow these crystal exoskeletons. And some were contaminated with bacteria, so you can see those organic growths look different. Marcus pressed his face to the eyepieces. It was remarkably beautiful, like intricate jewelry. Wow, he said, impressed. And they did this on their own? Yes. Self-assembly. Self-assembling life forms able to convert seawater into this casing. Wonderful, isn't it? It is. He backed away, letting her finish her notes. It's not poisonous or anything, right? Well, you, you shouldn't eat it. And you'll definitely need to clean the oven. Sometimes these slime molds release hydrogen sulfide or cyanide as a metabolic byproduct. Do we have a fan in here? He looked at her in sheer horror. You are ruining my life, woman. Oh, I'm sure it's fine. It's just a little cyanide. If they're still alive, what are you going to do with them? Why, kill them, of course. Why? Do you want to keep them? It makes me uncomfortable when you say kill them as if it's nothing. She looked at the single-cell organisms in front of her. Well, it is nothing. Please, don't ever take care of me when I'm sick. She frowned at him. Okay, but why? Never mind. Chapter 8. Multiclassing, because wizards run out of spells, and what does a cleric even do? And we will continue next week. Thank you all for listening.